0: Hello and welcome back to Did You See? It is a podcast where each week two friends, myself, one of those friends, and himself, Max, get together and ask and answer each other the question that friends have been asking and answering since the dawn of stuff to talk about, did you see? So Max, I'm going to lead us right off with the strangest thing I think I've ever talked about in this podcast. Did you see that a little more than a week ago, a strange monolith was discovered in Utah? No. Oh boy. Get ready for a fucking roller coaster, because this is amazing. So, uh, on November 18th, um, state biologists for the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources were in southeastern Utah doing a survey of bighorn sheep from a helicopter when they spotted a uh, silver metal three-sided monolith, basically, just standing on uh, private, like, state-owned land. Um, they were flying, you know, in helicopters, so they have the helicopter pilot fly over, and they're just like, uh, go back, go back. And so they land, and then on the 20th, the Utah Department of Public Safety posts a picture of the pillar on Instagram, and there are other pictures that come out where there's a guy, sta- one of the uh, like um, wildlife resources guys, standing on the other guy's shoulder to touch the top of it. So it, huh. it's like two human men tall. It is this triangular prism just standing in the private desert. Ow. People have started going on to this private land to film it because, holy shit, what the fuck, 2001? Right. And uh, you can see, I saw a video of it, you can see where like cuts were made in the rock, so it was very obviously placed there. Um, people went back and, uh, were able to find it on Google Earth, but somewhere between August 2015 and October 2016, the scrub that was around it was cleared, and it appeared. Huh. Yeah. Um, during that time, uh, several things were shooting in that area, including Westworld. Oh, interesting. But no one since the 20th of November has claimed ownership of this thing, and no one has explained how it got there. Um, So the public had gone there. Uh, Several of the rivets holding it together had been removed to confirm that it was hollow inside, uh, all by the public. Um, It's pretty obvious, like, it looks like it was cut with a concrete saw to get it in place. And it just doesn't make any sense. Um, That's weird. Especially because it is illegal to install structures on public land without permission. Right. So then, Friday, so two days ago as we uh, record this, it's gone. Oh, neat. And no one knows who removed it. Huh. What the fuck?
1: (laughs) That's interesting.
0: Right? Like, I don't understand that
1: is bizarre
0: it is extremely weird and um yeah so the bureau of land management claims that they received credible reports that it was removed on the evening of november 27th by an unknown uh party and the triangular piece of metal that used to be on top was now uh laying there where it was um, apparently two people were hiking near the location around midnight that night and saw a big pickup driving away from the site. Huh. And they saw the back of the tailgate was folded up and there was a big thing leaning on it. Uh, apparently someone had scrawled by bitch in the sand <laughs> next to where it had been. Interesting. Which has led several people on the internet to think that it was stolen <laughs> as in not removed by the people who put it there four years ago huh yeah this is a whole entire
1: thing well i mean at least it's like entertaining without being dangerous like everything else in 2020
0: yeah but just like what, what i want to know more
1: would you like to know more
0: uh, yes but i don't see that there's more to know yet So, I'll have to update this story as it goes, but I guess developing story for the time being. Right, absolutely. Wild shit. That is crazy.
1: (laughs) So, Dan, did you see on the front of things that are also quite bizarre that Heritage Auction put up a box of first edition Pokemon base set cards and that it sold for an exorbitant
0: amount of money? Hey, Max, you want to hear a sound that you've made before on this podcast? Hooray! I it's so the sound of me closing a team. tab.
1: <laughs> I so rarely get to do this. Team.
0: Yeah, uh, the, and that actually, I hadn't seen that until Natalie pointed it out to me. So this was going to be a combination uh, listener submission and my story because I felt there was a lot of meat to it. Now that it is well, a now
1: it's the full Voltron, right?
0: Yeah, now it's everybody getting involved. Yeah, it's, it's just lions turning into Pokemon, apparently. Yeah, what what an insane like. What a story.
1: Yeah, the uh, the amount, for those of you out there who have not heard this, is the box, which is 36 packs, sold for
0: $360,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Breaking a record set in September of $180,000. Yeah. So it yeah. literally doubled. Doubled. Yep. Which is crazy. The guy who bought it also bought a sealed, graded demo kit from 1998 that was, I think, uh, Beckett graded 10. Wow. Yeah, but what the fuck? Yeah. Like, look, I know Retro Pokemon is all the rage right now, and yikes, but over a quarter million dollars? You got
1: it. Like, um, I know that Uh, According to the article I'm reading about it, that the rapper Logic bought a $226,000 first edition Shadowless Charizard Mm -hmm. in uh, October of this year. So it's just exploding. Logan Paul bought a first edition, which kind of like helped feed into this a bunch. What Uh, it was for
0: 200k? We we've talked about this on uh, off off mic. there's theres there's uh, a guy who was a big sports cards guy on YouTube who at the beginning of quarantine was just like, hey, so you know, this is like the next untapped market because there's a shitload of people who used to play Pokemon who now have money and no one's you know no one's really popping the price on these right and that's what started that from from what i was able to gather a while ago that's kind of what got logan paul interested in it was like the you know it it became part of like the youtube zeitgeist for a little while and so now people are just trying to i'm fuck i'm so glad this hasn't happened to magic yet <laughs> god could you imagine the price on power if this happened to magic
1: it's it's alarming to see like, people's nostalgia hit just, you know I mean, kind of inflating prices to this level of insanity.
0: This is what happens when people who never really grew up, and I'm not one of those people that's complaining about that. I haven't grown up, and that's fine. Because right. I'm a functioning adult in society, I just also do a lot of the same shit I used to do when I was a kid. But it's what happens when a lot of people who never grew up suddenly have a lot more money. Right. You know, there's a reason that... Uh, Fancy golf clubs, you know, a set of fancy golf clubs is five grand. There's a reason that a sports car is $60,000. It's yep. because the people who buy these things are people with money. Absolutely. And now that we have so much more money tied up in, or, or available to us in these collectible card spheres, it, this is just going to keep happening. Absolutely. You know, I I don't, I I doubt you follow to tie this back into something you and I are a bit more familiar with, I doubt you follow the secondary market price on collector's edition magic cards, I but do not. a CE time twister is anywhere between seven hundred and fifty and a thousand dollars right now. Yeesh. Five years ago, an unlimited time twister tournament playable wasn't that much. Hell five years ago, and time twister was still the cheapest of the power nine.
1: Yeah. We were talking about this, uh, one of the nights we played D&D, we were talking about Time Twister specifically.
0: Yeah. it's Look, it is a very good Magic card. It does something that no other Draw 7 does because of its cost. And, you know, to an extent, I think, to tie it back into the story in question, I think that's what's going on with these Pokemon cards. You know, I, I think that you can get a box of new Pokemon cards for $100, but it mm-hmm. doesn't carry the functionality or the nostalgia hit. Right. You know, th- as somebody who has checked into Pokemon 99, uh, the, the the retro Pokemon format, the game's not the same now as it was then. It's the same with old school Magic versus modern Magic. Yes. And so the simple fact that, like, you, if you want to play but both the nostalgia hit and sort of that version, I guess, of the game, you have to buy the old stuff that has been out of print, you know, in the case of Pokemon, for 21 years now yep and and not to mention the fact that because or by virtue of pokemon having been an ip that appealed more to children than it did to adults or to older more mature people at the time um i i think a lot more of the stuff got opened than saved you know like I would say a visible percentage of every magic booster box that's ever been sold has gone to someone who saw the saw the value and collected it for the sealed product aspect right I would not be willing to bet the same thing for Pokemon yeah and that that makes these twenty one year old products all the more rare absolutely you know like like the, there don't exist sealed boxes of baseball cards from a hundred years ago nope because they are all bought by children and opened. Uh-huh. And I think the same thing happened to Pokemon. And so I, I think there is a there is a scarcity there by virtue of how little was saved sealed. I think far over the scarcity in magic, which, you know, is also a scarcity there because there was less of it made and it was made longer ago. But I I do think just based on, you know, my personal exposure to the to the brand and the products that a lot more people save that stuff sealed for Magic than they ever did for Pokemon. Right. So, I I don't think this is the end, sadly. No. But no. I also don't know that this happens too many
1: more times. Right, it's just I think there's a lot of people who are looking for something nostalgia to kind of give them that feeling of safety and comfort right now, and I think
0: that feeds into it a lot, too. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've talked about it for years on, you know, all of our platforms that the appeal to nostalgia is real in media these days. Mm-hmm. And now it's not just the media companies appealing to the nostalgia. Now it's people, you know, in the midst of the worst pandemic in a 100 years or the worst, you know, public health crisis in a 100 years in the developed world, grabbing for anything that'll make them feel less shitty.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: You know, like, there's a reason why, like, sales of comic books are up again, sales of video games are way up year over year this year, you know, especially when you consider the economic impact of the pandemic. People are just grabbing for anything to make themselves not want to just put a bullet between their eyes. Right. And I think that we have, I mean, I just, I, I want to see, because it was in September till, till November, so two months to double the price from low six figures to mid six figures on this box. What the hell does the next one sell for? Right, exactly. You know, and and look, I get it. Like the first edition boxes, there were not a lot of them exactly i i don't know what the print i don't know the print run data for pokemon but i know that there were not a lot of first edition stuff produced i mean i remember back in the day even having a first edition card even like a common was still cool Mhm. especially because like if your area didn't get on pokemon real hot and at least woodstown didn't like right off the jump first edition stuff just wasn't in the stores Mhm. so i get it but fuck, you know, like, when when's the first Pokemon sealed product break a million dollars, you know? Exactly. I just, I, once again, I just constantly look at this article, and I look at several other things, and I'm just like, I hope, I hope nobody like this gets their hands on magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, because I still got a lot of cards I need to pick up for old school, and it <laughs> ain't getting cheaper.
1: No, it is not.
0: Yikes. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know, I guess I probably puts a button on that one, uh, and that was my second topic. So, uh, what else you got? I have stuff. Thanks for asking. Did you
1: see, Dan, let me make sure I have this up and correctly able to read. Sure. Did you see that the Blacklist, along with Google, are doing a writing contest for five writers to each receive $20,000 to essentially be their salary for six months while they develop a screenplay. Oh, that's cool. No.
0: This
1: is pretty cool. It is, um, if you're not familiar with The Blacklist, The Blacklist is an annual screenwriting competition amongst unproduced screenplays. (laughs) And the reason I brought this up is because I've been reading a lot more... Um, encouraging articles online, which is really cool to see about filmmaking and people who are trying to kind of get people jump started into following up on taking the time to do their passion projects. And having a podcast gives me an ability to kind of echo that sentiment and let people know what I've been seeing a lot in the articles is debunking a lot of myths about screenwriting. And I know, um, Dan and I, we've gone, we spent a long time working on screenplays. And how do you format them? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? How do you make it look like you know what you're doing? And there's a lot of things you have to kind of demystify about screenwriting. And a lot of what I'm seeing now in the community is a lot of articles going up and a lot of people who are better, you know, more prolific writers, Aaron Sorkin, and people who are like not novices in any stretch going, fuck all that noise, write a screenplay. Just... Make sure you have some kind of software that will let you write a screenplay because all you really need to do is make sure that the spacing is right and make sure that the basic formatting with your scene headers, your action, your dialogue, and everything is basically laid out correctly and you can write a screenplay. That's all you need. You don't need special rules by what page you need to have accomplished a certain goal or what the first... X number of pages do for your screenplay. None of that matters if you write a compelling screenplay. It just has to kind of be formatted right, which a lot of these screenwriting programs handle for you.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll even go I'll even go one further. Um, I saw this on Twitter, and I actually meant to share this with you off off mic, but I didn't, so I'm doing it now. Um, Robert Hewitt-Wolf, Hewitt who uh, developed Andromeda, the Gene Roddenberry series, mm. and was a writer on Deep Space Nine and Next Gen, among other things, uh, tweeted the other day, I will fight and die on the hill of, I can do what I want. It's my script. Sometimes I bold my slug lines. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I underline them. Some scripts I double space after periods. Some scripts I decide not to. None of it matters. Just write good.
1: Yeah, that's and that's it, right? Is It's just, the story just needs to be compelling. And you need to observe so few rules. And I'm telling you, there's like, you can get Celtics are very cheap. You could get uh, fade in you could get Highland if you're on a Mac you can get there's so many affordable options for like 25 to 40 dollars you can be writing and it takes care of all the legwork for you if you don't want to spend it then just be consistent to where somebody could copy and paste it into a screenwriting program and it would be able to kind of parse what you're doing
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's really not hard as long as you're consistent I've seen screenplays that were just written on notebook paper And I've read them all the way through because they were compelling to read. And I've read screenplays from people who are professional writers and have sold scripts that are just not engaging scripts. So it doesn't matter that it's formatted perfectly or that it follows all the air quotes, rules of screenwriting. None of that matters as long as you're telling a story that's compelling. Whatever you deem that to be, make sure that you're doing it. Is it a good idea to look at things and try to shave things down yeah but that all comes in time one of the cool things about this contest that they're doing in addition to paying you is they're also giving you a screenwriting mentor to work with oh cool so that they can work with you one-on-one and help you develop the screenplay as you work on it and the only requirement to the contest is you just have to essentially submit a written uh documentation of what you did and your finished screenplay by the end of the i think it's a three-month period to work on your your script huh so it's just like, they're going to pay you a pretty reasonable way, like an above, you know what I mean, minimum for the guild wage to work on a screenplay. So all you have to do is take the time to do it.
0: I mean, and that's I pretty neat, and it's a good way to start. And, you know, I, I think something... I was talking about this last weekend when I was casting the Old School Tournament. Um Just make the content. Right? You know, like, in, in so much of this, just make the content.
1: Right, and if you want to jump on this or this sounds appealing to you, you have until uh, January 15th of 2021 to write at least enough of a screenplay. All they need is, I think minimally they'll accept a treatment and part of your screenplay. So it's really not that bad to do if you want to, if you're kind of sitting at home and you're taking the time being safe, but you want something to put your mind on that's not that. It's a, you know something that's maybe been sitting on your shelf or in the back of your mind of like, I think this would be a good script. This is a good reason to jump on it. And even if you don't want to get in on this contest, but you just have the time to do it, do it. I'm working on two screenplays very lightly, but starting with like trying to do outlining treatments, everything process by process, beat by beat, just because I want to hone my skills and try to find my style of writing. Sure. And all of this has been so encouraging to read, which is like, you know what i mean like kind of f the save the cat model f the uh like the um the story clock model like a lot of these like very like famous like you need to be doing this like or even like i'm not saying to f the three-act structure or anything but if you need to tweak what page what part happens on that's fine a movie yeah. can be weird we've all seen really weird bizarre movies we enjoy i mean hell that don't the movie Right. Tarantino is a great example. Lynch is another great example. These people don't tend to follow traditional structure in the same way, but they have their own style and they know how to tell a compelling, authentic story. And that's really what matters. So makes me happy because when we were starting to do it, it was like trying to crack some kind of weird code without going to film school. How the hell do you write a screenplay? Yeah. Like there's so many special rules. What do I do? How do I handle intercutting? How do I handle bouncing around between two different things? How do I handle a montage? All of these things are really easy to do, and there's like there's articles and there's links that are very easy to do, and you don't have to make it this crazy, over-the-top thing. And like you quoted, Dan, you can do different things. Whatever you do decide to do, just do that thing. Don't mix it up because you're going to confuse the writer or the reader. Just make sure you're doing, if you choose to do intercut two and then the next thing, you do that the whole time don't intercut one way and then just do like these slug lines that aren't scene headers which is another way to do it but if you pick one do that if you pick the other do that don't mix them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: just make it so you could hand a screenplay to somebody and then they could read it and tell you what's happening that's it yeah the rule
0: that's the rule and it really is that easy It is. so it is
1: and it's good to see people actually encouraging other people to do this, especially now. Like, this is something that I'm sure e- there's so many people who have been like, man, I would love to have tried my hand at writing a movie just to see if I could do it, even if it goes nowhere, just to see if you could pound out, you know what I mean, your 120 pages or whatever, just to see if you could have, a, you know, a screenplay in your hands that's mine. This I wrote. It's a real movie. Great. If you want to do that, now's the time. And there's so many people who are stepping up and being like, hey, a lot of what you hear is horse shit just write the damn screenplay and i think script notes has done that for me for years they've been doing their podcast long before i started listening and they've been big proponents of that whatever the hell you want to do do it there's no rules to this screenplay is an old format it was designed for times that have passed so don't feel like you're married to anything don't just break all the rules for the sake of i don't need to listen to anybody don't go yeah, that fuck far your rules yeah just stick to those like barely any rules right like there's so few just follow those important ones, right like it's like driving you stop at stop signs you make sure it's clear then you go you use your turn signal when you want to turn like there's not too many rules make sure you follow those rules yeah same thing like just do that and you can get on the way to write it so definitely do that like there's nothing stopping you and screenwriting software right now is super cheap A lot of them will let you test out the waters for free. So even if you wanted to write like a quick little five or six page screenplay, a lot of them will let you do that for basically nothing. You can just have it and it'll probably maybe watermarked with like this was written in, but okay, who cares? If you're just doing it to see if it's a good screenplay and tossing it around to your friends, do
0: that. Who cares? It's free. Do it. Shoot your shot. Make your art. Absolutely. Make more content, right? Make more content. Indeed. Don't think we can find a better button than that for the end of the podcast. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, it's www.superliminalfilms.com We can also be found on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Bye, everybody!
1: The statue got me high. The statue got me high. The monument of granite sent a beam into my eye.